Hey, hey everyone, welcome to a movie review and trust me, this will have spoilers. I'm not I'm not good enough to do not spoil reviews because all the stuff that would be spoilers are important to the movie and kind of make the movie. The very, very beginning of oh wait, no, no, wait, before I say anything, what movie did I go see? I went to see Ford versus Ferrari and it was epic. It was epic. It is very close to being my new favorite film of all time. It is so, so good. And to start off, let me explain why. So at the beginning of the movie, you have Carol Shelby in, I think it was an Aston Martin DBR1 at the 1958 Le Mans. And it's not a very long scene. All we see is him in the car, him kind of blanking out, just, or sorry, uh, spacing out, just trying to stay awake, trying to make it through the race. We're nearing the end. And what it ends up being is him fan I, I guess reliving that race because he actually ends up in in a doctor's office because and I unfortunately I wasn't I didn't hear this part because I was chewing on uh, I was chewing on my soft pretzel so I kind of missed it but basically he had some medical condition which Carol Shelby did have and so he couldn't race but that was the beginning and so he gets out of the doctor's the doctor's office he gets in his Porsche Speedster and the beginning of the movie starts and it's Carol driving spiritedly in the countryside while we hear a, a monologue about 7,000 RPM. That's where you, you know, that's where you need it. Kind of ethereal, which was epic. That that was a very good way to start the film. I think after that, we get Ken Miles, actually. And before I continue, let me just say that, and I can't, I can't remember who someone was paraphrasing specifically, but someone said that the alternate title of this movie could have been The Untold Story of Ken Miles. Which is so unbelievably correct. It it really could have been. We spent a lot of time with Ken and Shelby in this movie. But anyway, I think the next scene is we get to Ken Miles. He's in his shop. He's working on a British sports car of some type. It might have it might have been an MG. But the the point in telling you this is that the movie has a bit of a slow burn at the beginning. We don't really get to the good part until we get to the first SSCA race, and then one of the one of one of the first funny parts in the movie begins. And the funny part of the movie is Ken Miles trying to set up his AC Cobra. It's a 289 Cobra, and it turns out he doesn't have enough trunk space. And so after fighting with the SSCA regulator, he ends up taking a hammer to the Cobra's trunk lid and making enough space for it to meet the minimum requirement. And while that's happening, Carol is talking to someone from Porsche and then sees that, that whole incident go on with the SSCA regulator and Ken. And so right away, you kind of get a feel for these two characters. You know, Carol knows how to race but can't race anymore. And Ken Miles is relatively mild-mannered, except for, you know, except for when it comes to cars. Then he expresses his displeasure in a, in a humorous but not very controlled way. And, and not to say he goes all Hulk, but obviously he doesn't really hold it back too much. But anyway, then we, then we also see that, that not only is he a good mechanic... In the movie, anyway, he was he was also a really good racer. And then we hear names like Dan Gurney, Bob Bondurant. We hear a lot of those names. We don't we don't really see them, but we do hear their names, which is f fantastic that they pay that much attention to detail. But they really did put you in that mindset of 1960s racing, SSCA racing. There's another funny line that Carol says, sort of paraphrasing here, but he says, uh, "We're going to beat the Corvettes. Why? Because we're faster, we're lighter, and if that don't work, we're nastier." <laughs> and that that was that was a really really good line. So it's just. It's a really entertaining and really enjoyable scene right from the get-go while you're waiting in, in the paddock of Willow Springs, which is the first track in the movie. Then we, more or less, then we move over to Ford. 
and someone who I it makes sense why they showed up, but I never expected them to have this person show up because you could more or less have the story without them. Well, well, not really because they had the Ford Mustang in this movie. But anyway, Lee Iacocca showed up in this movie. Probably they got an actor for him, and it, basically he's trying to convince the chairman of Ford to get into racing and to get into Le Mans and to beat Ferrari. And so then later he he shows up at Shelby American where Carol is, and Carol's you know. After a bit of a discussion, Carol says, you know, you can't buy a win, Mr. Iacocca. But you might but you might be able to buy the guys that'll that'll that can make it possible. And so then we get more and more into the development of the GT forty. And mind you, this movie is two and a half hours long. It doesn't feel like it at all, despite the slow burn at the beginning. It really moves. It's such a it's such an interesting film. So you get Ken Miles, you get the people at Shelby American. And you know, at it's that during that time, Ken Miles's shop gets, I guess, liquidated or possessed by the IRS, so he doesn't really have anywhere to work at the moment. And then Carol pops up to where Ken lives, and gives him a proposition like, "Yeah." Um, and they brought out the 1964 Ford GT40, the prototype chassis GT slash 101. Not what I was expecting to see, and more importantly, I actually thought it was a low love for half a second, but it wasn't. But still, so they brought that out later in the movie when Carol took Ken to an airstrip, and he said it was terrible. <laughs> Ken said it was trash, but then they were working on the car later, and there was a moment where the Ford marketing executives, one of them, not Lee, uh, not Iacocca, said that Ken, Ken couldn't come with them to Europe to help them race, even though Carol tried to convince him, like, no, he knows this car, and he'll know what's wrong and how to fix it, and so on and so forth, and no. And so what ended up happening, I thought it was a time lapse, but I guess not, but Ken was working on a GT40 in their shop, and he was listening to the race on the radio, and as they kept having problems, he was basically talking to himself, saying, like, the transmission overheated, and so on and so forth. So they brought they brought him back on and helped him work with a 427 powered GT40, basically one of uh, Ford's NASCAR engine at the time. And there was still there was still some tension for uh, there was still some tension between Carol, Ken, and one of Ford's marketing executives or PR executives, I should say. The development was interesting during during that time when they were working on the GT40. Ford wanted to use computers to to find problems with the car. Carol, Ken, and a few other people from Shelby American were like, what, what is this nonsense? This no, no. We got you. We we got this. And so basically what they did is they what they did was they took a bunch of flypaper, put some duct tape, and then just taped it all around the vehicle and figured out what was wrong with it. Pretty much the good old fashioned way. Which proved to be the correct way. And they were making progress. They were really, you know, they were really getting somewhere with the GT40. You know, more development was going on. It was so interesting. After when, when once again, Ken, which which happens later, after the initial development of the GT40, when he's not allowed to go race in Europe with the rest of the team, Carol, Carol and Ken get into a small fight that it was basically played for laughs because there was a bit of tension. They brought Ken back on, and they, you know, they get everything sorted. There's still the PR person is still trying to keep Ken out of the race. During that time, Henry Ford II drops by and wants to see how the car is doing. And Carol's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to take you for a drive. Let's, you know, let me show you what we've been up to and where your money is going. And once again, how the development's coming. So he scares the mess out of Hem uh, Henry Ford II and tells him that basically this car couldn't be what it is right now without Ken. We need Ken to come with us to Europe. 
And so they strike a deal, and they say, and so Henry says, okay, uh, no, Carol says, if we win Daytona, if our if our team with Ken driving wins the Daytona 500, Ken comes with us to Europe. If your driver wins in your in your GT40, you get to own all of Shelby American, including the racing, all of it. So it's a big stake. They go to Daytona. Things aren't looking too great until Carol gets out of sign. And I can't remember the top part, but he, but he basically tells Ken to go like hell. And then Ken just absolutely obliterates everyone. They they were te- they were trying to cap the revs during Daytona as to not push the GT40s too hard and, and blow their their chances of winning. Carol basically gave Ken the go-ahead to go to 7,000 and indeed 8,000 RPMs and blow by everyone. And they won the race. Even though their pit stops were a lot slower because Ford were using their NASCAR crews, Ken obliterated the rest of the pack. And, the, and you know, Daytona, that was, a, that was a fun race. That was a fun race to watch. So that happens. They take Ken over to Europe. It's... Oh, actually, before I forget, during the development of the GT40, they have a bit of an accident with the brakes because the brakes were overheating. Actually, I can't say anything now without getting into spoilers for later. But anyway, yeah, so the brakes were having some problems. And they were like, well, what if we just swapped the whole brake assembly out for new brakes? And that included parts of the suspension. So one of the guys at Shelby American, a guy named Phil, was working on, on a design for that. But anyway, so getting back to the present time, they're in Europe. They're in France. Carol's already at the track at night. Apparently it rained. Just sitting there. Ken goes there. He's he's after Shelby. Because we weren't watching Shelby at the track. We're watching Ken. Ken goes to the track and sees Shelby there. And they have a bit of a chat. Next morning comes. The next morning comes. We we see Enzo for... Oh, I forgot about the deal. We'll, we'll get back to that later. Let's stick with where we're at now. So we're at the track. We see Enzo Ferrari. We see their P45s. Their prototypes. And we'll... we'll skip a little bit later um i'm getting everything a little muddled up but we get to the part where the gt40's brakes are getting overheated and so what happens is that they they did figure out how to swap out the entire brake assembly with parts of the suspension and so one of the guys at ferrari tries to sabotage the people at ford by saying by getting the fia person to go and say hey that's not the rule book and they Carol and Ken retaliate by saying, no, brakes are parts. Because you could change parts. Brakes are parts like brakes are parts like the um, steering wheel, the seat. Maybe not the seat, but again. Basically, they were saying, a brake is a part, just like any other part of the car. Therefore, it's not, you know, this isn't against the rule book. We read your rule book. This is perfectly legal. And so they kept going there. And there was, you know, there was a few instances of trying to sabotage each other like each other like that one time. I don't know how Carroll got a hold of this one bolt, but he, he got a hold of one bolt. And he drops it on the ground near the Ferrari guys. One of them looks down, and they're panicking. Because they're like, what? Oh, Lord. What did this come off of? Did we forget to bolt any, anything down? You know, what happened? What the mess happened? So that, that was kind of funny. It didn't actually result in anything. Nothing changed. But that was that was a funny scene. You know, we get to racing in the night. I, you know, I don't really remember too much from there. But I do remember the next day. And this was Ford's PR person still trying to sabotage Ken. He says, you know, Ken's, Ken has gone way too fast. He's like four or five minutes ahead of his teammates, Dan and Dan Gurney and Bob Bondurant, if I remember correctly. It might, it, it might have been Bob Bondurant. And so he basically tells Carol to tell Ken to slow down so that we can get a three-way finish because that would be, it would be awesome for the record books for a photo, you know, it'd be historical. And so Carol tells Ken, that's what they want you to do, but the car is yours. 
I'm not going to tell. He basically says, I'm not going to tell you what to do. If you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. If you're going to do it, that's all you. But the car is yours. He gives Ken free reign. Ken sends, he sets the lap record a, I think it's, I think they said it's either, it was a 330 something or a 329 something. I'm pretty sure it was 330. And after he does that, he slows down. And, and I was confused at that point in the movie because I thought what Ken was going to do was drive the wheels off the F40, finish the race, keep going, keep driving the wheels off the F40, and then come up behind Dan and Bob, Dan and Bob, and then at the finish line, get get the finishing order like that. I don't, I don't know if it would have been possible, but that, that made sense to me. No, he genuinely slowed down, waited for the other GT40s. No, no. Dan Gurney and Bruce McLaren. That's who was in the other GT40. But anyway, so he waits for them. They go across the finish line. Ken thinks he's won. No. I don't know if the PR person knew, but the technicality was Bruce McLaren won because he started further back on the grid. So he drove. So technically, he drove further than Ken Miles did. So Ken Miles had the win taken from him, unfortunately. But, you know, at the end, he wasn't too furious. He, he said to Carol... You promised, you promised me the drive. You didn't promise me the win, which was true. And so then after that, we get just a bit of monologuing and they're developing a new GT40. And we get the 7,000 RPM monologue again. And unfortunately, the brakes on this, on this other GT40 prototype fail. Except this time, Ken didn't get out of the car, so he died in that accident. And then we get a few scenes after Carol goes to see Ken's son. You know, they have a heartfelt moment there. And then... The movie, you know, the movie pretty much ends. I guess I got away from the from the whole review aspect, but oh, before we, in fact, before we get that, back to the deal, the the deal that Iacocco actually was trying to strike with Enzo Ferrari was that Ford would own ninety percent of Ferrari because Ferrari was bankrupt essentially. They own ninety percent of Ford, the production, co- you know, they do the production and ninety percent of for of Ferrari's racing team. And basically, Ferrari was like, "No, you've insulted me, mess you, go make your crummy cars." And so then, and, and insulted Henry Ford II. And Henry Ford II was like, when Carroll came in after that happened, he was like, yeah, why shouldn't I fire you? Because the GT40 has been a failure because Ken wasn't there. And Carroll talked his way out of that problem, basically boiling it, boiling, it, boiling it down to during one of their test runs, the GT40 got up to 218 miles per hour. And old man Ferrari had never seen anything go that fast in his life. And... Old man Ferrari knows now. He's scared now. He knows we're coming for. And so that that was basically Carol's point. But yeah, getting to the review, the development f- portions of the movie were so good. They were definitely one of the best aspects of the GT40. Or sorry, of of the of the movie. The ra- the racing itself was intense. The SSCA, Le Mans, Daytona, even so many good races. And oh, and I forgot there was even a scene where they unveiled the Mustang. That that was a good scene. A few jokes and quips there. However, one one part that I that I just realized I definitely neglected because I have a few notes here during in you know during the earlier part of the movie, but when Iacocca is arriving, he hasn't arrived yet at Shelby American. We see we actually see some Daytona coupes in the background, and that was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie because this movie isn't about the Daytona coupe, and personally, I prefer the Daytona coupe. So seeing the good handful of those was was awesome. That was. Fantastic! They even had the silver 427 Daytona Super Coupe in the background of the shop. That <laughs> that was a really good scene. So yeah, like I said, overall, definitely one of my favorite films. So epic. It wasn't without a few issues though, because the scene where uh, Carol Shelby scares the mess out of Henry Ford II, and you see all the driving bits from the outside, 
you can tell those were sped up. Those scenes were sped the mess up. And I guess I sort of understand why to make it more exciting, but you could just tell the car was moving unrealistically fast. And that, and it wasn't just for that scene. It happened, it happened during Le Mans. I think it happened during the SSCA race. It was unfortunate that they had to resort to speeding up the driving scenes to make them more exciting. One of the first day, the first Daytona Coupe that I spotted in Shelby American was a replica. And I'm pretty sure it was either a Superformer. I don't even think it was a Superformer's Coupe. I think it was a Pete, Pete Brock Coupe. And, and I could tell because legitimate Daytona Coupes have, it, it's hard to explain, but let me explain like this. Pete Brock Coupes and Superformer's Coupes have that quarter window. And the bodywork makes that air vent. Whereas legitimate Daytona Coupes have that black piece of either Lexan or whatever that, that make that air vent. Not, not dissimilar to the Gen 5 Viper, actually. Imagine a Gen 5 Viper with with that diff cooler right behind the driver and passenger window, except it's bodywork, and the flat part of that is a window. That is what replica Daytona Coupes have. Real Daytona Coupes, it's not bodywork, it's a black piece. Lexan, plexiglass, I don't know, I don't know what material it is, but the bodywork itself, the metal, aluminum, what have you, doesn't make up the, the covering part of that vent. So that that wasn't hard to tell, and there's and legitimate Daytona coupes have this really, really weird, clear, I guess it's an aero device on the A-pillar. Pete Brock coupes and Superformance coupes don't. They don't. It's just a straight A-pillar. And also the the proportions are a little bit different, but you couldn't really see that. You couldn't really see that from the from how long the cars were on screen because they weren't on screen for very long. But yeah, they were replicas. They that that one Daytona coupe was definitely a replica. But they did manage to get a genuine, you know, the genuine 427, 427 Daytona Super Coupe in there. So I guess that makes up for it. The beginning of the movie is a bit of a slow burn, and and what I mean is the very the the very beginning where Ken, you know, Ken's in the shop, um, and sort of everything leading up to that's a bit of a slow burn. I could see myself skipping that part. It's not that it doesn't endear you to the character because it does, especially with the way he takes off his customer. But it's that. But that's not the good part of the film. The good part starts at the SSCA race, and then everything onward is where the film really hits its stride. So basically, the very beginning of the film, where Carol's in the 1958 Le Mans race, the 7,000 RPM monologue, skip Ken Miles being in the shop, and then you get to the SSCA race. That's probably what I'd end up doing if I had Ford versus Ferrari on DVD and I was rewatching it over and over incessantly because it it, it just takes a little while to kick off, but. Yeah, ultimately, that is, it was an epic film, brilliantly shot, brilliantly acted. Christian Bale did a fantastic British accent, and really, to me, really embodied Ken Miles. I don't think there's any clips of Ken in very, in very few audio recordings, but if I had to imagine what Ken Miles would be like, it would be Christian Bale's interpretation. It was fantastic, and even Matt Damon did a really, really good job with Carol Shelby. I, I do wish if there if there if there is one complaint I had with Carol Shelby scenes is that they were really they're really short. Most of the time Carol was just kind of flat very, very succinct. Which I could imagine Carol being, but I do wish we had a few more moments where he wasn't. Matt Damon did a really good job embodying Carol. Now I, I don't think he's the best lookalike for Carol, but as far as his accent, he really got the Texan. <laughs> he really got the Texan accent down. Overall, though, definitely in my top five favorite movies. Which is saying something, because I only have four. I only have four favorite movies of all time. I think. I might need to reevaluate that. I haven't really added the Avengers films in there yet. See, it, it's tough. Because I, I want to put it in first, because I really enjoyed that movie. But <laughs> Speed Racer from, oh, what was it? 07. 
currently occupies that spot and I'm gonna make a separate episode trying to figure out which one which one is really really my favorite if I think Speed Racer still has to be it I think Speed Racer from 2007 still has to be my favorite movie because it doesn't have that slow burn you get right into the good part with a bit of background it's just it's all brilliantly paced whereas Ford vs Ferrari there were a few bits where I wish it was a little bit faster but as, as far as sheer story and realism alone Ford vs Ferrari does take it over Speed Racer, except except for the fact that they sped up the driving scenes. That really was the worst part of the film, is when they sped up those scenes. If I had to give a rating, probably 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. If they didn't have the sped up scenes, the movie would be perfect. Perfect. It would be, it would be my favorite. Because the thing about the Speed Racer movie is none of the scenes are sped up. They don't look unrealistic. The cars move at a really fast, but at a realistic turn of pace. Whereas in Ford vs. Ferrari, it's like they took an, a regularly shot scene, put it into an editing software, and then sped it up by 300-400%. It, it looks unrealistically fast. It really does. And that's unfortunate. You know what I'd actually like to see? In the DVD release cut, or maybe the Ultimate, or the Ultimate Edition, they take those scenes and slow them down. Slow them the mess down. That way it's realistic. Because that's the only way to make the film better, is make the driving scenes realistically fast but yeah i enjoyed the mess out of that movie i hope you all do i hope you've seen it because <laughs> that it's probably not as monumental as endgame but then again car enthusiasts don't really get monumental films at all as so as far as car enthusiast film goes this is monumental that that was an epic film the only thing i wish that we would get is a prequel where they did the Daytona coupe because that that story to me is just as epic as the GT40 story if not more so so I really I really wish we'd get that story too I have want to start a petition to get that going but starting a petition to have them spend 50 million on a film probably isn't gonna happen but anyway I hope you all enjoyed this episode enjoy the film if you haven't seen it yet don't forget to like comment share and subscribe and if you have subscribed hit the notification bell that way you're notified every time I upload Tell me what do you think of Ford vs. Ferrari. I loved it. I have to get it on DVD. Have to. Anyway, I'll see you all soon.